Amen. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, musicians, so much for your faithfulness and leading us in worship. Our passage this morning, you may have seen the email. It's 2 Kings chapter 5. We'll just look at the first 19 verses. It's the story of Naaman. Uh, we find out that he's the commander of the army of the king of Syria, and Elisha heals him. Elisha at least represents the God who heals him. Remember, Elisha's name is the God who saves. And so many of the miracles we see in Elisha, we really see in Jesus, whose name means the Lord who saves. And so we're, we're kind of narrowing in on our final two sermons of the Elijah and Elisha series. So this week we're going to see this fascinating story of Naaman being cleansed. And I sort of want to invite you in. I'm going to ask you a kind of a hard question. Why are you here? Uh, that question was asked to me, and it didn't sit well. Uh, it was at an Allender group, and one of the participants just looked at me and said, "Let me. Ask, why are you here? And I didn't know how to take it. I want to take it with the best possible thought. I think what she was getting at is, have you determined kind of what it is you're after? Why are you going through the steps? And all of us in this room, and especially those of you at home, we've taken some time out on a Sunday morning to, to get our... TV or our computer or our phone ready for this service, but why are you here? The reason I ask that is, do we want cleansing? Do we believe that God who would cleanse Naaman could cleanse us and heal us of both physical wounds, but especially spiritual wounds? So let's read together and hope that the Lord would heal us individually and corporately. Starting in verse one, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given him victory over Syria, or to Syria, excuse me. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore its clothes and said, Am I a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, and he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Can I not wash in them 
and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, that's Elisha, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we praise you that you are a God who rescues, a God who delights to save, who shocks us with your abundance. But Lord, we also come this morning with doubts. We read these stories and we wonder, will we ever experience cleansing and healing like Naaman? Is it something you would have for those of us with, with problems and disease and illness? And Lord, of course, we know the full answer is absolutely yes. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts to believe that answer this morning. Amen. There are like six or seven sermons in this passage. So reading it this week and chewing on it and studying it made me write seven sermons. I'm going to preach them all right now. Um, Thank you, Laugh Track. So what we're going to do is kind of pick up from last week. Last week, we saw a widow who was about to lose her two sons, crying out to Elisha in faith. And remember, we discussed how what made that story so powerful was not simply that God brought her the oil and and, and rescued her in her debt, but also that she had the faith to cry out to God and to go through the process. This week with Naaman, we see a little bit of a different story. Yes, Naaman has faith and cries out to Elisha, but it's sort of a halfway faith. It's sort of a faith based on his own understanding of what it should look like. And oftentimes, I think, in our lives, um, we might have that problem. We might come to God partially. We might come to God with requests, but we sort of know what we need and how we want it to go forward. And God wants us to bring our entire heart to him so that he would answer our prayers his way. That's the goal of this entire sermon. Um, And what I want to do particularly is remind us of an interesting conversation in Luke. Jesus is at his hometown and is not being received by the people of God, by by the Nazarites and those there, or the Nazarenes in his area. And so he basically begins to explain to them, this is not unusual. Uh, He says, Elijah had to go to the widow at Zarephath outside of Israel to do his ministry at one point. And then he says, and the lepers of Israel were bypassed when Elisha healed Naaman. 
And so what Jesus is saying in that sentence is this. Religious people often miss the beauty of the gospel. We've become comfortable in our religion. We've become comfortable in all the things we do. And we can actually miss the healing power of the gospel. So this morning, my goal is that we will see from this passage a way for all of us to grow closer to God and be cleansed freshly in Christ from this story. There's four things we're going to see. True need. Um, tr- I can't read my writing. So the true need, the, we need to accept the, the simplicity of the solution, okay? The price of the gift and finally responding as well. So these are four principles from this passage that I think we can learn from. So starting with the true need, um, Jesus, or Naaman knows something about himself that basically has become known by the king, his wife, and the community. That is, he has leprosy. Leprosy, I actually did some reading on leprosy this week. Not all scholars agree on what exact type of leprosy he had. Uh, the modern name for leprosy is Hansen's disease. Sorry, Sherry. Uh, but um, they don't know that he had that one. But here's what we know. What we know is whatever he had uh, was the beginning of something that would progress. It was contagious. It would be debilitating. But, fine, but the, other, the key issue here that we need to recognize is it also drives people away from you. Like having a spot of leprosy is like sneezing at Walmart. Like right now, you sneeze at Walmart and everyone's going to just duck and dive on the ground. They think that you have COVID-19. Well, you walk into a place with a little leprosy and everyone's thinking, not going near that guy. And later in the story, we find that he asks for pardon because one of his jobs is that the king would kind of hold his arm as they go into this service. And I think he realizes leprosy is going to keep the king from wanting to draw near to me, as well as his wife, as well as others. So there is this problem, this need he has, and it's dark and it's, it's gross and he sees it. Now, one of the things I want us to do continually as we process these physical miracles is recognizing how they really do play into the spiritual nature of our hearts. All through the Bible, God is trying to show you and I that there is not the, the proposed division between spiritual and physical, right? So often we think, oh, I'll take us, you know, I really want physical healing, but I guess I'll take spiritual healing as well. And it's almost like we've lost sight of the pervasiveness of sin and how, how devastating it is on our souls. And so when I see this cleansing, I think of Leviticus and the, cleanly, the cleanliness laws associated in Leviticus, and then the miracles of Jesus, how he comes with physical miracles, but he's always longing to pronounce healing in spiritual matters, especially forgiveness of sins. I think we need to see these come together in our passage. What what Naaman needed desperately, what you and I need desperately, is a cleansing that gets deeper than just the surface, right? We need a full cleansing. Recently, um, this kind of came to mind. I saw a little watermark. We've had one in our ceiling, in our entryway for some time. And I just thought, oh, that's one of those past leaks the other previous owner probably knew about. They've replaced the roof. We're fine. The other day, we're looking at it, and I said, Emily, that's gotten bigger, hasn't it? Yeah, it's gotten like three times the size. 
oh, well, we let some time go by. <laughs> and uh, last Saturday, we're sitting in the living room. I'm like, I think I see a drip coming out of that. And um, we did. We walked over, we saw a drip. And what we did was we finally called the plumber. And by the way, if you want to pause right there, that's where the king's response most hit me. You know, the king's just like tearing his clothes. How am I going to do this? And I just felt that like with that actual problem in our house. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, I wanted to tear my clothes, only I don't have a lot. So I didn't. But it dawned on me when I was studying the passage, maybe if I prayed, maybe if I asked the Lord to kind of walk us through this process. And here's what we found out. There is a, the plumber came, there is a uh, hot water tank upstairs. I should have known this, Right? It's a small, stubby hot water tank that, for the, the boys that have their shower upstairs. And that's what's been leaking for who knows how long, infecting the sheetrock and the stuff underneath it in our entryway, right? And so yesterday, we had the fun job of like cutting down the sheetrock and just seeing how that little simple stain was so deep and so gross. And like breathing in, I'm probably, we're all gonna have like mesophilionomia or whatever that's called. We're breathing in like moldy, um, only Meredith had the wisdom to wear the, the head covering. The rest of us were just like breathing it in. We're fine. We're fine. That's our story. How does it apply? Man, it was disgusting to see how infected that area had become. And we had to cut it out in order for it to dry out to begin the healing process. I think of Psalm 51 where David famously is repenting of his sin. And he doesn't simply say, Lord, I, I committed adultery, forgive me, and I've, I've murdered somebody, forgive me. But he really pours out like a lot more lamentation. Against you have I sinned and only you. I know my transgressions. I was born, I was conceived in sin. I mean, he goes to the nth degree of his problem. But then in, in verse seven, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The question I would have for all of us is this. Do we see our sin like Laman saw his leprosy? Because you should. Sin will take you out. Sin is a parasite. It's not just a temptation. It's not just this fleeting thing. It's not like crossing your fingers as a child when you tell a little lie. Aha, I had my fingers. Sin is trying to take you out. And even worse, it's inside of you in your flesh. And so when we see things in our world, like a spot on our skin, a spot on the wall, or a sin pattern, and we begin to say, you know what? I think that's going to be okay. I think that one will just take care of itself. You're already too late. What this passage is inviting us to do is take very seriously addiction. I was reading a quick article by, or it's actually a long article by a counselor um, who was interacting with some, some recent tragedies in pastoral world, but he began to talk about every human has an addiction. What is your addiction? Like, I think most of us like to pretend, no, 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 only a few of us have addictions. The rest of us just have proclivities. But the truth is, all of us have addictions to something. And sin is trying to take us out somewhere. Is it pornography? Is it greed? Is it fear? Is it envy? Is it gluttony? Is it alcohol? Is it 
um, wanting more material gains? Is it entertainment? Whatever, there's a, a myriad of things that can suck us in and begin to take us out. And what this passage I want us to begin with is inviting us to do is recognize there is this problem, okay? Secondly, there's an unlikely solution to your problem. Um, I'm moving quickly to these points because there's four. I want to move through quickly. But there's an unlikely solution in our passage. Here's Naaman. We don't know if he's doing anything about his leprosy. And then lo and behold, this servant girl shows up and says, hey, there's a prophet in Israel that could probably heal him. And I just, when you read that story, if you really slow down and meditate on it, it's heartbreaking, right? Because Naaman's fame came from his ability to raid and build up Syria by attacking surrounding neighbors. And lo and behold, on one of these raids, we get this servant girl who's now Naaman's wife's slave or servant. You have to just pause for a minute and go, the heartache, the bitterness, her life, Naaman himself maybe came in. Her parents were probably killed. I mean, the absolute viciousness of her reality it's hard to even get your mind around. And yet she's the one who, upon learning of Naaman's condition, has a solution, right? And so often God delights to show that his solutions come from the outside of where you would expect them to be, right? Um, for example, Naaman's solution comes from Israel. And we already talked about Luke, where Jesus says, you guys who should receive the gospel are ignoring it, yet just like do that. Because there's nothing inside of you or inside of me or inside of any religion that can heal you. Like the whole basis of Christianity is that Jesus came from outside in. In Philippians uh, 2, we read Paul talking about having the mind of Christ. And in describing Jesus, he says, um, he came and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And I'm sorry, just before that he says, I missed the verse, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That's what I wanted to read. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And that language is stunning because the thought that the Savior, the answer that you and I would need would come in the form of a servant being emptied of everything is hard to grasp. And I think for most of us, when we get to point one and we say, yeah, I think I have an addiction or I need some cleansing or I have some problems. The last thing we do is think, and I need Jesus. I think most of us think, no, I need like, I'm going to go on the internet. I'm going to read about 14 books. I'm going to join three different groups. I mean, I'm going to figure this thing out. And what we find in the gospel is so often the answer is a very simple solution. And it's the solution of Jesus. The Naked Naked Gun series, one of my favorite scenes in the Naked Gun series is the scene where there's this bomb. I I didn't look it up. This is from memory. So this is a 20-year-old memory. So I'm sure I'm going to ruin this. But Leslie Nielsen and whoever he's with are trying to take this bomb. It's ticking down. It's going to explode and destroy the city. And they can't find the solution. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? There's only a few of you here. Anyone know this scene? And they're like, it's ticking down. And, and by the way, Naked Gun is a, um, a comedy. So as it's ticking down and they can't figure out, they're cutting wires, it's going faster. Uh, danger is coming. Leslie Nelson, who's obviously not the smartest 
person just looks at this cord and he starts following the cord to the wall and it's plugged in in the wall <laughs> and he just unplugs it and the thing goes off and then, you're amazing. That was a, you're our hero. <clears throat> um, why would I say that? God is the power source of all things. And if we are seeking a solution outside of his control, we're shortchanging our healing. We're, we're making it harder. In fact, we're making it impossible. And it's a very simple beginning of a solution. I'm not saying it's the whole, like you'll see more as we go into the story, but just the beginning invitation comes from this slave girl who knows nothing that says there's an outside rescuer. And so my invitation to you right now, hopefully in point number one, you've considered some struggles you're having spiritually, even sin struggles, possibly addiction struggles. And point two, I'm simply saying, will you take the simple words of a pastor based on scripture while you're sitting on your couch through Facebook live stream, wondering what you're gonna do? Maybe there's an invitation here to turn to Jesus, to cry out to him, to go to the source, the power source and say, I need help. Will you wash me? Will you cleanse me? And like last week, what we saw was when the widow went to Elisha, she had zero idea what that would look like. And he says, you know, go grab all of the empty vessels. And she does it. And then take your flask and begin to pour it. And she does it. But the point is, are we willing to go to Jesus with absolutely zero understanding of what our healing might look like? Because I find so often in my life, I want to know a few of my steps first. And I think Jesus is inviting to cry out prior to knowing all the steps, which receives us, that brings us to our third point, that once you've received that invitation, the gift of healing has, has a crazy price tag, okay? It's crazy, the cost. Naaman goes to the king. The king sends, I think I read it was like 750 pounds of silver, 400 pounds of, of gold, 10 Articles of clothing that would be fit for a king. I mean, this, you know, in our day and age, you might say Armani suits, whatever. This would be more than, this would be like tens of thousands of dollars per garment for 10, you could get an entire wardrobe. So Naaman is thinking, quid pro quo. I show up, I leave you this, you come out and you do your thing and maybe I'll be healed. I don't know this to be true for sure, but there's even a possibility Naaman assumed I won't even know if I'm healed till I get home and you know, time passes. We don't know. But what happens is he shows up and remember Elisha tells the king, I got this, bring him to my house. So he shows up to Elisha's home and Elisha sends out his servant to basically say to him, go and dip seven times. <clears throat> and Naaman cannot accept this. The simplicity of the gospel is sometimes offensive. Because Naaman begins to just explain all of the ways he thought this would go down. First of all, why does Elisha not come out and greet me? You know, that's culturally normal. That's, that's common sense. And he, he can't get over that. I think part of the reason he can't get over that is having leprosy, maybe even in its early stages, the fear of isolation and the thought of shame. Oh no, is this person trying to like avoid me? You know, just the shame of that. But he goes on in our, in our text. Um, he was angry. We're in verse 11. And he said, I, I surely thought he would come out here and I thought he would wave his hand. 
over my like place of my skin and heal me. He goes on to explain, I have all of this glorious water I could have washed in. Why would I come all this way? And so my point is this. These healings, these miracles, both Old Testament and New Testament show something in our hearts. If I said to you guys as a congregation at home and here, you are saved by grace through faith. Everybody that is a Christian says, yes, that's the way it works. I believe that. But when you start to look at how we would handle something like this, this healing, we say, no, no, I've got to contribute something. And it shows that our hearts really do struggle with the freeness of the gospel. I think one of the clear examples of this, and I talk about it all the time, is in 1 Corinthians 13 when Jesus is going to wash the feet of the disciples. Peter can't handle that. He needs Jesus to not wash his feet. Then he needs Jesus to like wash every part of him. He needs to figure it out, and Jesus keeps saying, stop, let me wash you. So this third point is this, are you willing to receive the gift for free? Um, the, one of my favorite books of all time, the, the book called The Whole Christ, was dealing with this issue in which the church could not accept, the con- this is in Scotland at the time, in, in the late 1700s, the idea that the gospel would ever go forth with no requirement. The fear was if we don't give requirements, people will just accept it and not change. So they put the cart before the horse and they started requiring adjustment and change spiritually to then prove that they were getting the gospel. And there was a group of men who had found about a century earlier work called the marrow of modern divinity that sort of lit them up and they realized, no, the gospel is free. And they began preaching that gospel and it changed lives. Because so many people were preaching, there needs to be all this change before you actually get the gospel. So my question is, as we come to Jesus and we come with our sin, are we telling ourselves, I need a few changes first before I can really believe this? I see this sometimes in counseling. Um, I don't know if you know, there's some scientific studies that show just having a conversation with a, a loved one a counselor, a pastor, anyone that'll listen, where you're able to share your heart. There is actual science that shows that your neurobiology is being changed in that process. And so many times, those being counseled, I want to know the steps. What do I do? And there are practical steps in counseling, but I just sometimes want to look at people and say, we're doing it. Like, you're sharing your heart. You're bringing your, your heart and your story out. Well, how much more is Jesus? If we cry out to Jesus and we pray for cleansing, can we trust that Jesus is going to heal us in his way? Do you believe that? And primarily what we're speaking to now is this, the healing that comes from redemption. I want to remind us of the quote I read at the very beginning because sometimes I think we come to these passages and we forget something. We forget that Um, Naaman wasn't just healed of his skin disease, right? The paralytic we talked about last week and which Shane talked about a few weeks ago wasn't just healed of his paralysis, but the actual healing got all the way to the heart and changed the heart. And when we begin to be changed at a heart level, we realize what we thought was our problem wasn't our real problem. And so the quote again, for the waging of a few days of conflict, you will be rewarded with heaven's glory. 
One moment of celestial joy will dry up all your tears, heal all your wounds, and erase the sharpness of the fight with the joy of your permanent victory. Do you, like Naaman died. Like Naaman, yeah, his skin was like a baby for a while. But I bet when he was 90, it didn't look so good if he lived that long. Like we forget that these healings are a foretaste to our future home. And I think sometimes we say, wait a minute, this isn't fair. I want to be healed like Naaman. Well, let me tell you how he was healed. Let's look at that as our last point. The healing that Naaman received was far greater than the removal of leprosy. And so I think possibly often what is missed when we go for cleansing is our response to the cleansing. Naaman returns to the man of God, verse 15, which is interesting because at this point, Elisha does meet with him. And here's what Naaman says, Behold, I know that there is, a, is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So he's basically saying right there, I now acquiesce that there's a God and the only God is in Israel. But it seems to go farther than that. He wants to give all of these gifts. And I don't know how it all plays out or the timing, but I find it fascinating that it was when Elisha says no to the gifts. On many, apparently this went back and forth for a little while. He refused to take any payment for the healing. Naaman's faith gets seemingly deeper. And he says, if not, like if you won't take all of this, then I need something. And what does he do? There's two things he does in response. Number one, he asks for two barrel loads of, of um, soil to take back home. And secondly, he needs to be pardoned for when he goes back home and he has to enter this secular situation, he's asking for a pardon. And those are just fascinating things. I just want to process that with us for two. We don't have much longer, but um, number one, what he's doing is he wants to worship at home. Notice he doesn't say this. Can I take three jugs of the water out of the Jordan River? That's what healed him. Why would he not ask for that? If I have three or four or 10 or 20 jugs, then at any moment I get some skin, I'll just keep splashing the water because he realized his need was far greater. He needed to worship the God of the universe who healed him. And so Naaman has this changed orientation that far outreaches the need of leprosy. That is small potatoes compared to like his actual need of a savior. And it's so deep and his response is so full, he can see out in the future and go, you know, this is gonna be a problem when I'm taking the king of Syria into his like idolatry thing. And I love the response of Elisha, go in peace. As Christians, we are constantly going out from a place of safety into places of danger and hostility, but we're going there with the gospel. And with a renewed sense of faith, we can be like that servant girl. We can go into hard situations and say, there is a balm in Gilead. There is a prophet in Israel. There is a savior who can help you. Is that your hope? I just want to give you the rest of the story as I see it, as we close. Um, I can envision Eli uh, Naaman and his entourage returning back home to their city, their town, their home, 
And the king, first of all, is going, you're healed. You look amazing. And I, I received all of these items back. Like that's a big deal. That is life. So the gospel message of just getting that all back. But what I was meditating on was this servant girl who had been raided by probably Naaman, at least he oversaw it, taken out, probably lost her parents, brought into a pagan society who has no idea who Yahweh is. She shares the hope of Elisha. Naaman not only goes and gets healed, he brings back to her her own soil and an altar is built and I'm certain they worshiped Yahweh together. What a beautiful picture of redemption. Let us be like that servant girl. Let us go out into the dark places. Having already been cleansed by Christ, we can join in with Elisha or with Naaman and the servant girl in our midst, in our world, and become a beacon of hope. Do you believe that? Then it begins with naming your needs, naming your brokenness. It always begins there. And accepting the free grace, the free price that Jesus will bring you healing and trusting that. And then acting on that, not for it, but on behalf of that, because of that, actually beginning to love those around us and sharing the good news with the people that are hurting around us now. Let us do that and let us pray. Jesus, we praise you for the gospel. We praise you that it's not Elisha who healed Naaman. It's not the servant girl who healed Naaman. It was Jesus. It was the triune God. It was you, Lord. The God who has called us to worship, the God who has equipped us, who has, re who has redeemed his people. You have given us the freedom to both continually come to you for cleansing, but also to then turn to the world around us and point the way to you, to the cross. And Lord, we know that many people, like we learn in 1 Corinthians, will find it foolish, will find it pointless, but we long for your message to go forward, Lord, for your glory. Amen.